0: first verse of first John chapter 3 it says behold the manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God and I want to pause right there and I want to read that first part of this again of uh, chapter uh, 3 Verse 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. That right there is so awesome in itself, just that one part of verse 1. And when we think about that, one, we get such a great reminder of the Lord's ministry for us and even here on this earth when he was on earth is it love. We're reminded again of the love of Jesus Christ, that the greatest commandment is to love and to love one another. And here we see at the beginning of this chapter that the love of the Father bestowed upon us was so great that we are called children of God. And I want to, I want to stop and reflect on that. We are children of God. Is that not an awesome promise? Is that not an awesome thing to behold just right there alone that you are a child of the living God, the creator of heaven and earth? Wow, that is mind-blowing. And when we think about the context of everything happening in our world right now and all the disruptions and all the concerns people have about kids going back to school and and all sorts of things. No, we are children of the living God. And that's an amazing promise to us because like all things, no matter what we go through trials or tribulations or no matter what we are, the Lord is still always going to be in control because we are his children, amen? And even better than that, and what we see just in this verse alone is that the Lord loved us so much that yet while we were sinners, he loved us still and called us his children. That is awesome. Like that, that, to me, is just an amazing word of scripture there alone as we read in the first part of 1 John chapter 3, just that first part of verse 1, that the love the Father had loved for us was so great that while even in our iniquity as sinners, Christ loved us, that He called us His own children. I mean, that is profound in itself. And I think that's something that as believers, we need to constantly remind ourselves. Of, regardless of what is occurring. And we finish the, the second part of verse one. It says, Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. And I think that's really important too, as we stop there for a minute and realize the second part. The world is blind to its own sin. And as believers, we have to remember that and recognize that. It's hard to sometimes live in this world and see all of the manner of evil that goes on around us and not feel a sense of frustration about it as believers but we have to remember that the unbelievers are dying in their sin and christ loved us and we have to continue to love unbelievers even when they do things that cause us to be frustrated or angry or disappointed no matter what it would be i i tell the youth this all the time i tell them that um i don't kick a dog for not having a conversation with me as a human being why because he's not a he's not a human He's a dog. He can't speak. And I think sometimes as Christians, we get angry at the world for being the world. And we have to remember that they're blinded to their sin. They're blinded in their unbelief. And what they truly need is a Savior and not condemnation. And sometimes that's very difficult. It's very difficult. I saw a, um, a thing the other night that, at one of the, the protests out in Portland. They burned a, a stack of Bibles. As believers, we ought to be very, very terribly grieved by that because for two reasons one we as believers know this is the inspired word of god and why would anyone want to destroy the inspired word of god and then the other part should cause us to be grieved for sadness for them for if they truly did believe in jesus christ the way we did we would know that they wouldn't want to do such things we would know that they wouldn't want to participate in that behavior if they truly love jesus the way that we do so it's it's like instead of being angered we ought to almost have a sense of grief for them in their unbelief. They are blinded to their own sin. They don't know God as we know God. And as an extension of Christians who receive Christ's love, we ought to have love and mercy for them. And oftentimes what happens is we retract to our earthly state, to our fleshly state, and that's to extend evil for evil's sake or hate for evil's sake. And the Lord calls us, as always, to love. Love in spite of what's occurring in our lives. Um, I was reminded so much you cannot be reminded or not be reminded of the greatness of God when you behold his creation. And I was fortunate when I was just out in Utah that I got to go to some really phenomenal, beautiful places. I got to go to a place called Arches National Park, uh, which is phenomenal. It's, 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 It's this town called Moab. And it's really there's these huge caverns and canyons and there's these arches. There are these mammoth rock arches that were carved by the currents of water. And what I find is really, one, as a first point, is that, you know, as believers, we know the whole story. The Lord tells us what we need to know in his word. And I'm sitting there in arches, and I'm reading the National Park pamphlet that they give you, and they say that, you know, thousands and thousands and billions of years ago, the Colorado River was at this certain level, and it moved with such speed that it carved these mammoth rock formations. And I was like, oh, you mean the flood, you know? And as believers, it's like, no, we... We know the Lord, you know, like it says in verse one, therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. We know of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we believe the flood created these things, not some mystical happening of a river that went from really, really high up. That's now really, really low. And you know how I know it's even cooler about the flood. And you can't not be marveled at the Lord's creation when you see it. It's because you have Arches National Park. And a little bit to the east, you have Monument Valley. And then a little bit further south, you have the Grand Canyon. And a little bit north of that, you have Bryce National Park, which they call the mini Grand Canyon. And to the left of it, you have this place called Zion. There are all these amazing rock formations and canyons that were carved by, oh, some mysterious, rapid-flowing, massive amount of water in this area. And you go, yeah, it's called the flood, dude. <laughs> you know, you can't but help but look at the Lord's creation and not acknowledge his greatness. You cannot help feel small. I heard it really well said while I was there too, that being in Arches National Park is like being on the seafloor. You see, in our oceans, which we know more about space than we actually know about our oceans, which is pretty incredible. See, in our oceans, we have these deep valleys and ravines and crevasses. We have these huge rock formations and mountains and all of these things, and they're carved by the rapid movement of current in our oceans. And being in Moab is like they say is like being on the surface of the deepest parts of the oceans because you can see how water created these rock formations. And I go, yeah, because it's called the blood, dude. Like, but it's just this neat thing. And you can't look at that and not be marveled again by the greatness of the Lord. And that greatness is how great in perspective of how great his love is for you. That he called you his own children. And I think that's so cool. As believers, we get these wonderful reminders so much about how the Lord is great. And we also get reminded, too, that unfortunately, that our world has some great evil in it. Um, I do have notes today, and I typed them out, but I'm not yet on Pastor Brennan's level. I don't have an iPad, but I'm going to get there uh, eventually. But I, am, I do have my notes today. I do want to stay on time uh, for you all today. I know that people have a lot of stuff to do. But in verse 2 says, Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I think that's so cool, too, as believers, because one day what it means is that one day when we're in heaven with him, we're going to have a heavenly body. And our bodies are going to be restored. I can't wait for that day when, you know, my body no longer hurts in the morning. I told first service that I get up and it sounds like a bowl of Rice Krispie Treats because I snap, crackle, and pop because of knee and joint pain in my life, you know? And I can't wait one day when I have a perfect heavenly body with Jesus. But you know what I else can't wait for with that? Is that we're going to have heavenly wisdom one day when we get to heaven. How cool is it? There are a lot of things in our lives right now. There's a multitude of things that we as believers take as faith. There are things that I just can't, um, my human brain will have no ability to fathom nor understand. And I accept on faith that that's how the Lord intended it or created it. And in Corinthians, it tells me that my wisdom is flawed. And so I accept the perfect wisdom of Jesus Christ. And so one day when I get to heaven and I have this heavenly wisdom, I'm gonna know things and we're gonna know things and it's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be incredible for us as believers. Like, oh God, that's, that's what you were doing. You know, sometimes we go through life trials and we go through moments. We go, God, where are you working through this? How are you doing this? Someday we'll never know. We just have faith to carry through. But one day we will know when we're in heaven with him. And I think that is so amazing. You know, and like I said, too, um, sometimes, too, it's important for us. uh, Verse three, we'll read verse three. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Now, we're going to talk about that a little bit. I think most importantly, as Christians, sometimes, too, we have to have a profound reverence for the Lord. We need to be reverent of him. And that's a high level and degree of respect. We have to acknowledge in the greatness of Jesus Christ. If we acknowledge his love, we also have to be respectful of him, too. I don't really like the phrases sometimes like the man upstairs or the big dude. You know, I don't think that's reverent to refer to the creators of heaven and earth as in a belittling fashion. We can't say we're of Jesus Christ and love the greatness of his love for us and then speak of him in belittling ways, even if it would might be a joke i think we have to have a healthy fear of the lord i think sometimes that reverence is a mix of like one the celebration of the love that jesus christ has for us but sometimes we also have to blend that love with a little healthy dose of dose of respect and love and second timothy 1 verse 7 says for god has not given us the spirit of fear right that that spirit of fear is to not fear the things of this earth but we better have a healthy reverence and fear of the Lord. And sometimes I think as we continue, and, and you'll we'll see this played out a little bit as we continue in the teaching today. Sometimes we lose that little healthy bit of respect of the Lord um, in our lives. And it allows us to enter into certain things. And And I'll tell you, like one thing, I was, was, I was kind of in a kind of a cloistered environment out at the school I went to. There were very few of us. And so in a way, you kind of were in a bubble. And so I came home to a lot of things that I'm like, I'm still kind of perplexed by. Um, I don't, the, the change thing that we now have a shortness of change, I think I understand. And then, um, and people are still buying a significant amount of guns and ammo. And, and this isn't a statement on the second amendment. I, you can do whatever you want. I just find it. I would have thought we bought them all by now, but they're still like, I'm amazed that like, because I think people are living in a, in a really healthy state of, of fear and insecurity from the world that they're experiencing right now. But us as believers We need to look to our Heavenly Father for all of our hope and security for everything that we go through. You know, everything that we're experiencing in life. At the end of the day, as Christians, we know the end of the story. Whether this time or now forward, the Lord one day is going to come for His people. That is His promise. One day the Lord is going to return. So we faithfully continue on through every trial and circumstance that we have on this planet in the hope of Him returning. Amen? And I think as Christians, we need to transcend that to the world around us. I meet so many people that are living in a sense of trepidation about our current world. And what's going to be one thing today will be one thing tomorrow. A hundred years ago, they had the Spanish flu, right? Even if we think about COVID, like we put that in perspective, right? To the Lord, right? The greatness of Jesus Christ. A hundred years ago, they had the Spanish flu almost on the same timeline as this. It was a novel coronavirus as well. And eventually it went away. And I know this, that whether we wear masks and whether we don't or however that works out or whatever the Lord calls you to do is in our behavior to the world, one day it's going to end. And if not, the world's going to end and Jesus Christ is coming for us. So regardless, in the long run, we win. We win. And so our hope and security needs to always be rooted in Jesus Christ, no matter what we go through. And one day when we get to heaven, maybe we can ask the Lord, be like, Lord, why did we have COVID? He'll tell us and we'll have that heavenly wisdom to do so. I know one thing. There's a lot of things I don't mind because of COVID. I'm, I'm at the point where I'm seeking out the good and everything around me. Airline travel is great now. I will tell you, I've flown on a lot of planes in the last couple of weeks. Do you know like, like Delta now requires the seat next to you to be empty? I have more leg room. It's great. I no longer have someone like sitting right on top of me, which always kind of made me feel a little uncomfortable in a metal tube you know? And as a result of social distancing, they no longer serve alcohol on airplanes. So I no longer have a belligerently intoxicated person sitting next to me on an airplane. And I can tell you from my amount of air travel that I've done just in the last several years, some people in that metal tube lose all sense of inhibitions when they drink a lot of alcohol. There's actually something to do with the altitude. The higher you ascend in an airplane and the higher altitude you go, alcohol affects you more. I've witnessed it. I really believe it. And some people lose all sense of humanity when they're stuck in that metal tube. But gratefully, thanks to COVID and social distancing, I have to worry about it. See, there is when we continue to just put our hope in Jesus Christ and drive through what's going around us. man, we start seeing the positivity that can be found in some of these things. It's only a disruption if we choose to believe one is, you know, and sometimes and sometimes these are real. And I and I fully believe that COVID is real. Don't worry. I'm not I'm not in that camp because I definitely believe that the viruses are real because viruses exist all around us. And so, but it's important for us as believers, where do you put your hope and security? If we believe in the greatness of the love of Jesus Christ, as it says in verse 1, that he called us his own children, then yes, he is caring for us, he's coming for us, and our worries and hopes need to be put sometimes aside as we look for our hope in things eternal. You know, I mean, it's, so the Lord has got so many promises for us. But as we transition now to verse 4, my boys love comic books. I don't get it because I don't. I was never really a comic book kid. Uh, I was more involved in outdoors and sports. And I like G.I. Joe. And that's probably about as close as a comic book that I ever got to in my life. My sons are all about Spider-Man. Love them some Spider-Man. And there's a line in one of the movies which they like to watch. It's actually kind of dated now, I think. It's in the late 90s. It's the first Spider-Man. I think it's the first Spider-Man. But with great power comes great responsibility. And you see, the Lord, the great love that the Lord has for us, we have some skin in this game that we've got to participate in too. Not in a works way, in a faith way. And as we now continue in this, because I think this is really important. So, verse four says, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. And I really want to talk about this today. I think as believers, we can't put something in proper perspective until we give it the proper context. And for me, growing up, in the church sin was always kind of this list of do's and don'ts it was just a rule book by which you followed and I think the problem is is when we belittle sin and when we think of sin as lesser than what it can be in our lives we allow it to overcome of us and I think what's really important is that we have to put sin in the right context for what it is it's not just a list of rules and do's and don'ts sin as John tells us here in verse four is lawlessness Lawlessness. And when I think of lawlessness, I think of the word anarchy and anarchism. I can tell you from my experiences around this world, I've lived in anarchic and lawless societies. I've seen lawless cultures. And I can tell you, it's not a very happy place to be. I have lived in countries that had no social structures, no police, no fire, no EMS, no functioning court systems. Okay, so when I think of lawlessness, this is what I think about. I've experienced in this world, people who live at what I call the basic level of humanity. And the basic level of humanity is no morals or ethics, it's survival mode. Every single day, What do I do to live through this day? And when people live at that level, they go and do horrific things to other human beings because the sole focus is human existence and survival. That's lawlessness. And sadly, some of these places that I've been to on this planet that have these types of environments and fragile and failed states... The person with, I always say, it's like the Wild West. It's the guy with the biggest hat and the biggest gun gets to do whatever he wants to do and, and exploits their will over other people. It's really a horrific thing to see and experience. And when I, so when I, hear the, when I hear in verse four that sin is lawlessness, this is what I think about. I think of an anarchistic environment that I've experienced in this world. And when I apply that now to my Christian life, See, sin is more than just this list of rules of things I do and, and I don't do. Because when, remember, when I grew up, a rule is meant to be broken. That's how we were taught. Rules are meant to be broken, you know. And the sad thing is when we take our Christian life and we just boil it down into a list of do's and don'ts, sadly what happens is, is our flawed human wisdom gets involved. And what it becomes It becomes this sense of like, now I start to justify, well, this rule, eh, maybe maybe I don't want to break that rule, or maybe I do, or that rule doesn't seem so bad to me anymore. And that's how I think we enter into this problem of people having, who are even believers having pet sins. I have this sin that I kind of dabble in every once in a while, and I kind of move over to it every once in a while when no one's around, or no one sees me, or when no one knows what I'm up to on my devices, or when I'm not surrounded by other believers. That's my kind of pet sin, like a pet rock. You know, and I kind of carry it around them. this image of a pet rock. I carry this rock around with me. The problem is, is when we boil sin down and we lose the perspective of what it's doing to our spiritual bodies, to our spiritual well-being, what we do is we forget that what we're doing is taking our human body with our spiritual well-being that Jesus Christ has given us now as Christians. And we're warring. We're now entering back into a war between our flesh and our spiritual existence that Jesus has called us to be. And this is why when you hear unbelievers talking about that they entered into a period of sin in their life or even a period of, they felt this warringness inside of them. They felt frustrated and uncomfortable. When you hear a Christian talking about going back and living the life they used to or even hanging around some of those friends that they felt uncomfortable or they didn't feel comfortable engaging in the behavior that they used to. Why? Because your eyes have now been opened to your sin and your life. And why would we want to enter back into this? If the Lord has bestowed such great love upon us that he would call us his own children, why would we want to enter into a lawless state against him? See, sin just is not this list of do's and don'ts. Sin separates me from God. And when I put it in the right context and I put it in that perspective and I ask anyone as a fellow believer, do you now as a Christian want to be separate from God? Do you ever want to be removed from the guiding presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in your life? I would hope you would immediately say emphatically, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be removed from the presence of Jesus Christ. But sin and sin habitually practiced does that, not just a list. And I think context is really important. Me and my life, I, I say that all the time. Context. What's the context? Context is really important. Some people dabble in the sin of pornography right? And they justify it and whatever. And, and they have a whole reason of why they can come up with a list of justifications of why pornography is okay. But when you put it into context, sometimes like there's a certain pornographic website, I won't name it. I'm not going to give it credit uh, from the pulpit at all. They now know that somewhere to a, to over half to 75% of the individuals that are on this website of this free pornographic website too terribly, by the way, are, are trafficked human beings. These are are human beings who are being trafficked, and most often they're trafficked by a loved one, okay? Like, now, let's put that in context. No longer maybe is pornography your secret sin that you engage in when nobody is around and nobody can hide it, and it's just between you and God and nobody else. No, now you're participating in the trafficking of human beings. And how many people, when we put it in the right perspective and context like that, man, I really don't want to be a part of that. That's evil. This isn't just entertainment. This isn't just no longer your First Amendment. I remember when I was a kid, they used to say that. Uh, there was a land- one of the first landmark cases of the First Amendment was the idea that uh, pornography was no longer a punishable crime underneath the law. It allowed for Playboy magazine and a lot of the other magazines to come out. And I asked them in that perspective, uh, now, uh, would you be happy to know that in the practice of your First Amendment, you're openly celebrating, practicing, and enjoying the trafficking of human beings? Boy, that makes that sound really different, doesn't it? Boy, well, that really puts a different emphasis on that idea, doesn't it? When you put it in the right context, and so is the same of all sin. When we just make sin about a rule, and we fail to put it in perspective that this is separating from you, from God, and this is engaging in lawlessness against your heavenly Father, is that something we really want to be a part of? And that's a rhetorical question that I hope you ask yourself, to say, man, maybe I need to put this aside. Maybe this thing that the Lord has called me to that I know his word tells me is a sin. I don't want to be engaged in, you know, and and so we'll continue now on in verse five as we continue this morning. Um, Verse five, because there's a lot of verses here that don't make a lot of sense. Sometimes I have to read them a couple times and I even seek out a couple uh, different explanations to help me too. verse five says, and you know that he capital H was manifested to take away our sins and in him capital, there is no sin. So, yes, in Jesus, there is no sin. There are some false denominations who like to say that Jesus sinned. Let's just clarify verse 5. We're done. Okay, thanks. Um, and there are also verse 6. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor not known him. Okay, let's clarify this real quick, too, because there are some false denominations. Again, I'm not going to give them credit by naming them. They take this verse out of context to say that the day they came to Jesus Christ, they no longer into any sinful behavior. Okay. Let's, so then what does this verse mean? Excuse me. Um, So what does this verse mean? So whoever abides, who's ever abiding in Jesus Christ does not sin. Now there's a difference between the singular sin and the pluralized sinning or sins. Sin by itself, singular, is speaking to original sin. Okay. Yes, the concept of original sin. So whoever abides in him does not have original sin. Yes, we believe that. Those who are abiding in Jesus Christ, profess him as Lord and Savior, are no longer subjected to the judgment of the original sin before you were a believer. Yes. Now, however, let's finish that whoever sins has neither seen him nor not known him. So whoever is habitually sinning does not truly know the Lord. And those are people who are living every single day in their sins. And I really want us to examine that verse and think about it in context. And I'm very careful with this. Some denominations take this verse to basically say if someone's living in habitual sin after professing Jesus Christ, they never were really a Christian. I'm very cautious to say that because who am I to judge the Lord And who am I to judge what the Lord will do? The parable of the sower tells me that the seeds fall in a multitude of places. I have no business to judge the seed by which you were that accepted salvation. So I don't go. Some people, as a way of using man's flawed wisdom, will go and say, well, you just were never really saved. That's not your business to say so. That's for the Lord to determine. But I will pray for you. I'll pray for you in whatever state that you currently exist in. But it says, whoever sins has neither seen him nor not heard him. Those people who choose to habitually consider and live in sin are not abiding in Jesus Christ. That's like, I, I think that verse can get a little bit tongue twisted. And sadly, it preaches to a lot of false ideologies. Um, verse 7, little children, let no one deceive you. Yet he, he who practices righteous is righteous just as he is righteous. So the Lord is righteous again. So unfortunately there's a lot of denominations out there that, that preach some really goofy stuff in translation to these verses. I just was around one. Um, and it was really interesting. So when I say Utah, most people say, yeah, I heard it through the, yeah, I got Mormons. Yeah. You know, what's really interesting though. I spent three weeks out there and I got out a good bit. I never, the only time I heard someone profess to be a member of the LDS faith was when they were at a food truck and they were demanding to have a non-caffeinated beverage. It was the only time I heard someone say, I'm a, I'm a member of the LDS church. I was like, this first time, but I'll tell you what was more interesting. I had multiple people who I met who told me I'm an ex-Mormon and they threw that out there really quick. I found that to be ultra fascinating. And when I started to talk to them about why are you an ex-Mormon? They said a lot of things like I was excommunicated for joining the military and they don't mean excommunicated in a joking sense. Like sometimes we use that word. They mean it in a for real sense. And sadly, when they excommunicate a family member for leaving the LDS church, they even hold funeral services for their family members and their children. It's really, I mean, so when they say that they really, really mean it. And I said, well, why did, why were you no longer a Mormon? I didn't believe in this rule anymore. We have all these rules. Not about these rules. See, sometimes when man creates lists and lists and lists and lists that we think create a false righteousness in ourself, we really plant seeds of unbelief in people. And we have to be extremely careful with that. Um, we also have to be careful with the other inverse, too. There has been, in my life, a denomination teaching or theology that sprung up about the overabundance of grace and not the fact, yes, grace is sufficient for all, but it doesn't mean that I willfully go out and commit sins and then just go on a backwards track and say, I'm free under the law. Galatians 5, 1 through 6 says, Christ set us free and has given us liberty. Yes, but we are not to abuse that liberty and put us back under the bondage of sin Galatians 5, 6 says that we are no longer in bondage to sin. If you are no longer a slave to sin, why would you put yourself back into bondage to it? We're not to abuse the liberty that Jesus has given us as Christians now. We don't follow a set of lists of codes that we think make us more righteous. No, no. No, we're continuing just to seek after the Lord. And see, the problem is if we take sin out of context, we we start focusing on man-made lists that we think create righteousness and isn't sin. And we take the emphasis on what really is sin and we're not putting it in its right place. So we start violating all of our man-made rules. And then what's that lead us to? It leads us to a place of unbelief. And it's really tragic. It's really, really tragic. I think more and more, the older I get, the more I realize, and I think we have to continue. This is why sin's got to get put in the right perspective, is that Christianity is a lifestyle. It's not a list of rules. This is something that we engage in habitual practice every single day, hoping for the return of Jesus Christ for his people, living life eternal in him. Amen? Not Not a code that we just follow, thinking that somehow we can purify ourselves through works. Sadly, and this isn't a treatise on LDS, but the problem is you can't be around them and not experience their faith and go, I don't, I don't know if I'm about that. You know, they're, it's really weird. They're kind of like friendly in a judging way. It's kind of hard to describe. They're really friendly while they're judging you. And you're like, I'm confused. Um, but they're really they are super friendly people in a judgmental way because you're not LDS. And it's a very weird vibe. It's a very, very weird vibe to give off. But it's also sad. As a believer, when you see someone living in a false doctrine or a false belief, you can't help but be grieved by it. You know, you can't help but see these people and go, man, you're walking in blindness. And that's the love that we need to extend to our fellow non-believers. That love, we should be grieved by unbelief not angry at it. Sometimes we feel threatened by sometimes by false denominations. We feel threatened and that leads us to attack or lash out. No, I'm, I'm grieved that you believe in something so false and so hurtful in a lot of ways, false denominations. Like I heard from people when I was out there, by the way, that, um, that if you're, if you're a good Mormon, if you're in right standing with, with all the LDS treaties, you can get married in the temple. So they have like normal churches they go to on Sundays, and then they have like these big, big, big temple things. And I heard stories of parents who weren't allowed to witness the marriages of their children in the temple because they weren't in right standing with the church. Or children who had to wait outside of a temple while their parents may have gotten remarried because they weren't in right standing with the church. And people crying on their children's wedding days. I thought, what a, what a hurtful thing to talk, to, to propagate a belief like that. I was like, Wow. It's really sad, you know, and I when I was leaving even Salt Lake, I saw a young man in a suit. and He had his name tag and not a lot of people in Utah wear ties, by the way. So when you see one in a suit and tie, you're like, I I get your vibe. Um, But he was a young man. He was 18. He was going on his mission. And I felt grieved for him because a lot of these kids, it's a sense of compulsion. And they're 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 forced to enter into this so they can be a full member. In fact, when you're 18, if you're a young man, you have you get told to go on mission. And if you're a young woman, you get told to immediately get married and have children. And if you don't, you're not a full member. And I thought, man, that's sad. But these are, you see what happens when we have rules? You see what happens when we create lists that we think attain us a heavenly place? Like, like, do you see what the destruction that this brings? And what that really does is it distracts us from the truth of sin. Sin is lawlessness, real sin. Real sin is lawlessness. Verse 6 said. well, verse 8 says, he who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning, for this purpose, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Again, re-emphasizing here again, sin is of the enemy. The Lord came to defeat it. Don't put yourself back in it. Again, if we can't put things in the right context, we always lose sight of what the real problem is. And so and again, when you read these verses and when you really put sin in the perspective and context of what it needs to be, you ask yourself as a believer, is this what I really want to engage in? Is this what I really want to find myself on a daily basis engaging in? And so and I know there's a lot of questions that sometimes have with sin. Um, verse nine says, whoever has been born of God does not sin. I guess singular sin. For his seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Yes, the Lord came and redeemed you of your sins, past, present and future. Yes. So don't go out and commit them any longer. Abide in Jesus Christ. Um, And I think it's super, super important that we remember to put this right, proper emphasis on what this is. And then we have to ask ourselves, do I really want to engage in this? I want to read you from uh, A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer, who wrote a lot of books, but one he wrote was The Pursuit of God. And he said, there is no wisdom in sin. He said, I, and he said further, sin, I repeat, in addition to anything else it may be, is always an act of wrong judgment. To commit a sin, a man must for the moment believe that things are different from what they really are. He must confound values. He must see the moral universe out of focus. He must accept a lie as truth and see truth as a lie. He must ignore the signs on the highway and drive with his eyes shut. He must act as if he had no soul and was not accountable for his moral choices. And when I read that, And I put it in context of sin being lawlessness and anarchy against the will of the Father. Man, is this something we really want to be about? Is this what we truly want our Christian life to be a representation of? I would hope you would say emphatically no immediately in your brains. And if not, then I would pray that you seek the Lord and really examine yourself like to say, Lord, I don't want to be. In anarchy with you i don't want to be in lawlessness in a state of lawlessness against you and i know there's a lot of things too so you know what we're talking about so we're talking about sins and we're talking about sinning we're not having a debate on whether or not something is or is not a sin the bible is very clear on what sins are and i know some believers they have we have these issues we're like okay it's not really a sin but then what do i do about it this i call that the gray area right Okay, and I always say pray and seek the Lord. And if you get a check in your spirit about it, then I would say heed the check and heed the calling of the spirit and don't participate. And I know for some people that's like, well, wait a minute, even if it doesn't it make sense, if sometimes the Lord makes no sense in what he's called us to do in the eyes of men, because man has flawed wisdom. Look, the, the mask issue. And I say this in a sense of this, too. There are a lot of people who are extremely consternated about the idea of wearing a mask. They don't want to do it for whatever reason. They, they feel like it violates some sense of self or whatever. And what I say as a believer is, if, and I would say to that person too, if wearing the mask makes you less rebellious that you might have a conversation with somebody about Jesus Christ, then do it. For the love of the brethren, do what the Lord's called you to do. I'll be honest. I wasn't keen on the whole idea of it. I'm just, I'm perplexed by it. I think in so many ways, what we're experiencing with COVID, and I hate more so that the political partisanship in our country divides us to not even have a rational response to this problem. I go, what's the deal? But I also go, so I prayed about it. I said, Lord, what's the deal? And the Lord said, it's not. Go forth and continue. And I was like, all right, cool. That's what I'm going to be about. I prayed about it. I was like, right. So look, I'll wear it when I have to. I'll wear it for the sake of others. And when I'm asked to, I'll put it on. I'm not going to be a rebellious individual and seek to enforce on other people. I think it goes both ways though. I I don't believe in shaming those who don't want to participate. I don't believe that that's the appropriate response either. I believe that as believers, if you feel that something you ought to do, that the Lord isn't clear about, because I don't read in my Bible that thou shalt wear a mask. And it doesn't say, thy shall not put a face mask on thy face. It doesn't say that either. So we're we have no clear guidance here. What we do have is a calling for love to one another. And if the Lord is calling you to that, even regardless of what your own personal interpretation might be, then we do it for the sake of the brethren. Amen. I know it's difficult because living in this earth is not an easy thing to do. Um, and around our country, I mean, we talk about the persecution of the church. And I know that I've said it before. I know Pastor Brennan has. We had a guest speaker a couple of weeks ago who said it. Listen, guys, it's 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 a real thing. I mean, we got churches in California that are meeting on beaches and calling themselves protests so they can somehow meet and fellowship as a body of Christ. If The NFL is banning now uh, their players from attending church services in person. Like what happened to our country? What happened to, you know, this sense of like religious liberty in our nation? And now when we really assess what persecution can look like, are we not witnessing it? Are we not? look. Hey, we'll do what we got to do, but we will be a church. If that means we all and social distance and wear a mask, we're going to do it because I know one thing the Lord called us to do. He called us to be in fellowship with one another as believers, and he called us to be a church. And that is, takes precedence over other things in our lives. And if we're conflicted by these things, we need to pray and seek the Lord. And if the Lord leads us in a certain way. Then we obey the heed and the calling of the Holy Spirit because to do so would be in a state of lawlessness. And if we profess to love Jesus Christ, If we profess to accept the love so great for us as his children, then we must practice as an extension of our faith to others. Amen. Amen, guys. Like, you know, verse 10 says, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Another, We are called to love one another. I'll close on this. Uh, Warren Wiersbe is someone I consult a, a good bit. Um, sometimes he's a great theologian. He said that a true child of God practices righteousness and loves other Christians despite our differences. That's what we're called to do. As children of the living God Most High, we are called to love one another despite our differences. And the more we do that, the more we practice that, and the more we put context on what sin is and the proper place that it is, the more we seek after the things of the Father. Amen? Amen. I'd like to call the the praise team back forward this morning. Um, Again, thank you for being here today. I thank you all for coming out today. I I know... um, just the, the desire to fellowship is strong and we need to continue to do whatever we need to to continue to obey the word of God and when it calls us to fellowship as fellow believers. It is once again, so happy to see each and every one of you. I am so excited to be back. Um, I don't like being apart, but sometimes that's what we do. So thank you this morning. I greatly appreciate it. We'll just agree with me in prayer as we close out today. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Lord, we do. We, we thank you so much for how you love us, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you sent your son to die on a cross for us, Lord, for nothing that we could ever do but freely accept the gift of salvation that comes from believing in you and you alone, Lord. So as we continue to live out this life, Lord, let's profess you every single day no matter where we go, Lord. Lord, bless these people. Lord, keep them safe, Lord, until we can be together again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.